Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 235 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast, presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm back. You are back. Actually, at this point, I've been back for like a week. You've been back for a while. Yeah. Um, I'm good. I am still a little tired, but man, if you guys ever get a chance to go to BookCon or a event like it, like New York Comic Con, Comic Con San Diego... Or since I know we have a lot of international users now because of our Viber community, mm-hmm. any of the like London Book Fair, um, Frankfurt Book Fair, and they, I know they're all over the world. They are. It's so refreshing to see. I think I tweeted this if people follow me. I don't know if I tweeted it as a podcast, but like seeing literally thousands of young readers like sprinting to go get author autographs and books. It's super refreshing. It's really cool to see. So. Yay books. Yeah, yay books is right. Um, Yeah, I'm back. If people didn't listen to the last episode, you did a huge favor. (laughs) I came back and uh, we were like, I I don't have anything to talk about. I'm so tired. And so you gave everyone a bunch of tips on using Libby and Overdrive. I did. I loved it. I told you that. I literally listened to it like five in the morning while walking (laughs) my dogs. I did. I did some of my favorite Overdrive tips and tricks. Yeah. Because as I said in the... The thing I was an overdrive user long before I came here. So yeah, and so if you didn't listen to the last episode, if you saw like, oh, well, there's no book recommendations, definitely listen to it because Jill gave a bunch of different awesome ways. I thought about that after. <laughs> no, oh, that yeah, this wasn't this wasn't me like shading you. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, I yeah probably should have talked about no, books. <laughs> yeah, this wasn't me trying to like dunk on you. No, that was this is me being like, if you saw it and you're like, oh, well, there's no books. Definitely check it out because it's such a it's such a good one. Um, one of the things you mentioned there, and we've mentioned before, if you haven't joined our Viber community yet, definitely do that. You can find it at professionalbooknerds.com. We have a link to it. Um, just like last night at the time of recording, we had people join from Ireland, England, Scotland, and the Philippines mm-hmm. all in like an hour, which was yep. super cool to see. So there's readers literally from all around the world in there. Um, and you, of course, can talk to the two of us, yep. some of our coworkers. It's good stuff. Um, if people want to get a hold of us other than that, though, how can they How can they find us? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds. And they can email us at ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. Yes, they can. Um, okay, so today's interview, I was just at Book Expo America and BookCon doing interviews. But today's interview is with Elizabeth Cohen, who's the author of The Glitch, who I spoke to in Philadelphia uh, during PLA. So the glitch, we get into it, obviously, when we have the conversation, but it's about this uh, female CEO of a tech company whose life is, like, literally she tries to live her life the most efficient way as possible. Like, she takes naps when she's standing up, and, like, she schedules sex with her husband. Like, they literally have everything on a schedule. Um, But one day she meets a young woman who looks just like her and has, like, an identical scar, and she's trying to figure out, like, okay, wait, what happened here? What's going on? So um, it's really funny. It's kind of like... Silicon Valley meets like a, like maybe a time traveling novel or maybe nice. not. Uh, it's like really it. good. She was laughing. She said because she used to work kind of in that in- industry, and I believe she discussed like it's really hard to poke fun at people in the like in Silicon Valley because it's like it's almost like the jokes are just sitting there waiting to be made anyway. So I think you guys will enjoy this. Um, I believe if I remember correctly behind you know peek behind the curtain. I haven't edited the actual interview as we're doing this intro i'm pretty sure there's a part where because when you go in these convention centers they're huge and there are birds flying around sometimes i think we had a bird flying around us for a little while so nice. i may or may not edit that out we'll see 
Um, so yeah, that's that's this interview. Um, again, go listen to Jill's episode that previously was on join our Viber community. We got everything else. Um, we could probably talk about a book or two we've been re- we've been listening to or reading. If you want, if you want to give a book recommendation, I don't really have any. Okay, <laughs> I'm in I'm in one of those lulls no, where I'm good. between books. Yeah. Um, the only one I will say, and I did mention this in the Viber community, so people may be on hold um, already if they heard me say it. Uh, just last week, a book came out by Violet Ramis Steele. Um, it's the daughter of Harold Ramis. It's called Ghostbusters Daughter. I have not read it or listened to it yet, but I'm going to. I'm a huge comedy nerd. So um, Harold Ramis, for people who might not know, wrote Ghostbusters, wrote Caddyshack, wrote Groundhog Day, directed several of them, was in multiple movies. You've also probably seen Stripes, Knocked Up, uh, all sorts of things. He's He was a comedy genius. Someone, I don't I want to say it was probably Entertainment Weekly or People or something, had an excerpt from the book earlier this week. And mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was, um, it made me want to read it. So. Yeah, there's a story that someone had that's all about how he and Bill Murray, like they had a 20-year feud that I knew it was very, well, it was very famous that they were feuding, but no one ever knew why, because they're both very private people, and they also never knew how they ended up making up, and his daughter tells that story, and I don't want to spoil it, because it's the most Bill Murray story, I think, <laughs> humanly possible. Like, if any other actor had done what they did to make up, I'd be like, that's not true. But with Bill, Bill Murray is one of those people who's just larger than life, so yeah, like, yeah, though, this is how they made yeah. up. Um, so that's the Ghostbusters daughter. I'm going to be listening to that as soon as it becomes available to me. So anything else you think people should know about? I don't think so. Okay, cool. Thank you again for pinch hitting for me on the previous episode, and I hope you guys all enjoyed this interview I did with Elizabeth Cohen on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hi everyone, it's Adam again, and today I'm joined by debut author Elizabeth Cohen, who studied comparative literature at Princeton University and has an MA from the writing seminars at John Hopkins and an MLS from the University of Maryland, which we're going to talk about seeing as now we're at a library conference. Go librarians. Her debut novel, The Glitch, comes out this May. So Elizabeth, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Adam, thanks so much for having me here. Okay, so can you get us started by maybe giving people a little bit of an introduction to your novel? Sure. Um, so my novel is called The Glitch, and um, it's easy to remember because it rhymes with a word that's used um, often to describe powerful <laughs> women. And it's about a powerful woman mm-hmm. who is the um, CEO of a tech company in Silicon Valley. Um, before, um, and the, her product is the product the company makes is starting to malfunction, and um, her personal life. She's a mom, and also you know is married, is also kind of falling apart. And as everything starts to mount up her very hyper efficient very organized life is starting to fall apart Mm -hmm. and there is something very interesting that happens a little bit later that doesn't she kind of meet someone very similar to herself right she's been watching like too much younger or something she 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 encounters a person she is a survivor of a lightning strike which happened when she was 20 and living on you know a farm in wisconsin and she, 20 years, as the anniversary uh, of the strike approaches, she um, meets a young person who she believes to be her younger self mm-hmm. um, and has to kind of cope with that. So I don't normally ask this because it's a lazy interview question, but trying to wrap my head around the 
plot of this story is so unique. I just have to ask, like, where did the idea of that come from, of, like, seeing your younger self? Was it... I feel like that is very much in the air right now, or uh -huh. was in the air, and it actually is something where I started thinking about, considering how often it crops up in movies and, and plot and fiction, it's sort of like, do people actually walk around thinking, like, that could be me at 60 sitting over there at that table? Yeah. And, and it's like, actually, to be totally honest, I have had thoughts like that, but it's like, how normal are those and how much are those a sign that your life is actually not working out if you're yeah. starting to like, okay. I think Shelly is someone who's so aggressively um, sure of herself and what she's doing that she can't really let herself have doubts. So when okay. she's having these doubts about how things are going, they have to take this very strange physical form. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's more so being it's it's more so built out of like you said kind of experiences of seeing someone be like oh that could be me as opposed to like when my when i initially was reading the bottom of it i was like is this more like a, like a time slip thing like outlander like something like seeing someone so i watched um the back to the future trilogy repeatedly while watching while writing this because Wonderful. i feel like that teaches you everything you need to know about how like time travel works. of course and it's very tricky when you get right down into like uh -huh. into time travel stuff. In the end, and I will say that I have I played with the idea of like should this be a time travel book? Um, in the end, I feel like it works better not as a time travel book. Mm -hmm. But I think that the possibility of time travel and the idea of kind of sort of genuinely thinking that that might be something that could happen to you is an interesting one, yeah. and um, hopefully that comes through. So, do you have a background in the, the tech? industry or kind of what made you want to write as about? a peon like not as a ceo um <laughs> i worked my first job out of school was um working at a pr agency in mm -hmm. um the dc area and we were it was a, a you know high-tech pr like we, we had only tech companies as clients and this was right before like everything kind of went south for the tech industry uh -huh. and things were going really well for a while and we were pointing money and it was never totally clear to me what we were really doing or what our value was but they were paying us a lot of money sounds to do about it. right yeah, and um, and then sort of it all kind of very fast went south, and um, it, as a first job, I think it was a really confusing first job mm -hmm. because it was kind of like very unclear, like what kind of widget we were making and why certain widgets were working and, and certain widgets weren't, and um, it was the kind of job where like everyone was so terrified about the millennium bug. Do you remember mm -hmm. that? And, oh yeah. And I remember like all the high up people at the agency were all spending like New Year's Eve in like a bunker with our clients, like waiting for the world to be destroyed. Um, anyway, that was that was my first job, and then I um, later on went to library school, mm -hmm. and um, I thought that it would be an escape from all of that stuff. But I got into library school and being librarian right when librarians were kind of falling in love with the idea of technology. Right. University of Maryland renamed itself the iSchool while I was there, the, the library school, um, went iSchool, and they had a little library that was like a lab for students, uh -huh. and they like destroyed it and made it into a, like a collaboration space, yeah. which was like a computer lab when it mm -hmm. was, you know, finished, and I just felt like I was always kind of being um, forced into these uh, you, confrontations with technology. So do you think going through, first off, I imagine you just had so many buzzwords that you knew. Oh, I have so many I didn't use. I'm like waiting to, you know. Yeah, yeah, I honestly, that's, tech, well, I do yeah. a lot of, I mean, I work at Overdrive, yeah. which is a technology company in the yeah. library, and I do a lot of our blog writing, yeah. so I'm very industry yeah. standard and yeah. leading technology, I know all about the buzzers, yeah. but do you think working in that kind of tech, technological field where you had to write about the stuff, even if you didn't fully understand it, do you think that helped you as you were going into library school with 
um, how things were changing? So when I actually wrote this book, I was doing neither of those things. I was working at a very stressful nonprofit communications job, and um, it was really more the stress that I think fueled the book in certain ways, mm -hmm. like like my experience of being so stressed so yeah. much of the time and realizing that there sometimes is no solution. Like you just, how is yeah. it going to work? The tech buzzwords, I think, are just so prevalent now, and they're used across industries. Um, and, you know, in my jobs, people would say things in meetings, and you'd be like, what? Like, yep. Does that even make sense for one moment? Um, and it gave me a way to kind of reuse that all, all that stuff, like to sit in a meeting and kind of keep a column of these words, which yeah. later I could handily repurpose mm -hmm. for my fiction. Um, so I don't think that it's something that at this point is really... T I think that it's, it's too late, like the jargon. Yeah. Ponies out of the bag. So, That's not a metaphor. We should really <laughs> ponies, I love, I love ponies out of the bag. <laughs> All right, well, whatever. I love it. I'm keeping it. Um, okay, so Shelly is very much like, I, it sounds like she's a much, very heightened kind of like version of what you'd see as like a tech industry person. But do you think a lot of the stress you were feeling? ended up being built into her character like do you think oh that's sure i mean i think that's where that was sort of the point of entry like i had this idea to write about a female tech ceo it was mm -hmm. kind of when female tech ceos were having this moment mm -hmm. it's it, the way cupcakes had their moment at one point <laughs> but a different thing um cheryl sandberg you know was doing lean ins around 2013 mm -hmm. and marissa meyer became you know that the head of yahoo and there were those yeah. fake shepherd fairy posters of her head uh -huh. everywhere and I just felt like it was an interesting cultural phenomenon, mm -hmm. like both that both they're so high profile and the way that we see them. Yeah. Um, and so I had this thought of writing a novel about a female tech CEO, and it felt like, how would I do that? Like, I am not myself a female tech CEO. No female tech CEO is going to write a book like this. Right. Um, and trying to not make it like a cartoon or like make her too fakey. Yeah. Um, and so the stress was definitely kind of the point at which I thought, well, this is something that I know. Mm -hmm. Like, I know what it feels like to be intensely stressed from your job. Yeah. And like, that's something I can work from. I feel like, honestly, with the tech industry especially, it's almost hard, it's almost impossible to, like, jump the shark with how absurd people can be because, like, you, you, you see the show Silicon Valley. I don't yeah. know if you're, how familiar are with it. I am very familiar okay, with it. Okay, so in my mind, like, I feel like, the, like even you could have the most astronomically insane character right. in the book and people could still be like, yeah, I could see that happening. Like, right. Well, I mean, I think what, what is interesting and what has really changed is... When I started writing this, it was like there was a level of ridiculousness that didn't seem fully recognized as ridiculousness. Like people were doing, you know, these sort of absurd things and they were getting kind of a pass. Like, yeah. you know, oh, you know, it's so great. It's so innovative. It's so clever. It's so whatever. Yeah. What's really shifted over the past couple of years that I've been writing the book and also now very suddenly in the last two weeks is that now it's not just like sort of silly. It's like it's kind of criminal and it's also kind mm -hmm. of like highly corrosive for our society and it's caused yeah. like problems that are not just like funny problems like mm -hmm. oh the quinoa didn't get delivered to Google's <laughs> cafeteria but well they do it's like you know mm -hmm. we have a president you know, things have gotten bad fast and yeah. I think it's really easy to pin the blame on some of these decisions that were clearly not thought out yeah. at all so I know that obviously you said that that's more now yeah. so but what I guess motivated you to want to, because writing a novel is no small task. This is your debut novel, and you were doing it while you were working. So, were you always the type of person that kind of wrote on the side, or so, like at times I did write? Out, I wrote in college, like with some like you know I'm going to be a writer kind of feeling, mm -hmm. and then I went to um, Hopkins for grad school in creative writing, right. and I felt like I was writing was my you know thing that I was doing, mm -hmm. and then um, you know then I started working. I um, had kids and. 
I have gone through long periods of not writing. Like, mm-hmm. it's not, I'm not someone who writes every day, sort of yeah. vein or shine. Um, but at some point, the pressure of not writing sort of became its own form of distress. Like, I began to feel like I was getting older and feel like, you know, the years start slipping by. Like, I'm not... I have a birthday in June. I'm not, I'm not that old, but I do feel like the sense, like, the years are definitely getting faster. Yeah. The kids went to school, and mm-hmm. I feel like there's this very retro thing where, of women authors of, like, a previous generation where they seem promising, and then they have kids, and their life falls apart, but then the kids go to school, and they, they actually are able to kind of pull it out and write yeah. books later in life, and I feel like that's kind of the pattern for me, um, like, a playbook of yeah. a different era, but once my kids were in school, I did start kind of writing again, mm-hmm. and... It was hard to write while like working full time right. and having kids, um, but it is also like kind of I miss it. Like I'm not working on a novel right now, and I do miss having it. It's something that you just have that's your own, you know. Right, I, and so along those lines, I feel like it's the life of an author is to me it's such a unique experience because you are even if you're working full-time, when you're writing this, you're in a room and you're writing and you're by yourself and you're secluded. That's a common misconception, right? Like, that you're in a room and you're yeah. writing by yourself. Like, I don't actually have a room where I'm writing by myself. I would, you know, love So you're to just kind of, like, writing while there's, while there's, you know, kids I, around and dinner's on the table? I'm, I'm so, just... <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like, like in a way that's kind of demoralizing <laughs> to me, honestly. But, yeah, um, when I... When I got my agent, that was, like, a really big turning point for me mm-hmm. because I had had an agent years ago, but, like... I had not had one for a long time and my agent is so great and like when she took on the book I really just felt like it's gonna work out like mm-hmm. I, I ended up doing a lot of rewriting after that but I had the sense like mm-hmm. she gets it she understands what I'm doing like there's something there it was for me really like like a big moment and yeah. so and I had this thought like now that I have an agent and I'm rewriting with like some purpose and maybe future in mind I'm sure that I will do all my writing at like a desk in a room with like a cappuccino next to me because that's what I've seen on like the internet and that I will have like a little laptop and like an orchid and Mm -hmm. I will spend lots and lots of time doing it and that's not what happened Um, what happened was I just kept doing it the way I'd been doing it which is like on my sofa with my laptop Uh like kids like please you know turn off that beeping whatever um I went to Starbucks a lot. Yeah. Um, I wrote a lot of my book at the Balakinwood Library. Mm-hmm. Um, I patronized a lot of coffee shops. Um, and that's kind of, I just wrote it like little by excruciating little yeah. bit. And I got up early every morning and just kind of worked for like 40 minutes. You know, by the time you make the coffee, like mm-hmm. there's not that much time. And it really is like a testament to like you can do something in tiny chunks. Yeah. It's kind of, it would be more fun to go move to... Switzerland for like three months and write <laughs> yeah. it in a chalet but you know I wrote it in my real life and yeah there's um when I was growing up I played baseball throughout college when I was growing up oh you did yes and so when I was growing up um one of I so I was good at I could hit I was I could always hit yeah. so they'd always find a place for me in the field so I played every every position in the outfield I played first third literally they would just stick me somewhere and yeah. say don't mess up too much but when we were playing when I was really younger, we were losing this game by, like, 11. And yeah. our coach said the most yeah. asinine thing to me that, at the time, I was like, you were insane, but it stuck with me. And he said, he's like, how do you eat an elephant? And we all just stared at him. He's like, one bite at a time. Yeah. And that's how I feel like writing a novel. Is like, it's like, yeah. you can't... In movies, we actually, I was talking about this with an author earlier today. In movies, you see those, like, aha moments where right. the, the author writes 80,000 words in a night. Like, that doesn't happen. Yeah, not in my nights. I yeah. don't think anyone's nights yeah, ever have that. Too bad. So, but I, but I think it does take. So it's, it takes a certain kind of discipline to be like, all right, I'm gonna write 200 words today. Yeah. And go on. It's kind of um, 
it's sort of also it helps that you don't know how much work it's going to be at the front end. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like I never, I always believed that I was like three quarters of the way done, and it turned out like that was so not true. Mm -hmm. I was like a ninth of the way done, but but believing somehow that things are moving along is really helpful. So did you? You mentioned you know a big turning point was getting a literary agent. How much of a manuscript did you have when you sent it? when you started kind of I thought I was again like I thought I was done um mm -hmm. no I <laughs> I thought I was done for years um I had I had a manuscript with um and um when Alexandra my agent took it on she was like I really don't think the last quarter is working mm -hmm. and I agree that it was not and um so I rewrote the last quarter of the book but honestly I had to there were a lot of things that I had not you know, you kind of, sometimes you can get away with stuff, and then when you go back, you realize you can't really get away with the things that you've done. So yeah. so I had to actually, like, take the machine apart and mm -hmm. kind of put it back together, and it was sort of an excruciating experience. So when you wrote the, the first manuscript, are you kind of a planner or a pantser? Like, is it... Oh, I'm such a pantser. I wish I weren't. Um, I, I, I... I've written so much material that's not in this book, and mm -hmm. I just feel like there's got to be a more efficient way. I think that the answer is there's not, but yeah. I just feel like I open my... I work in Scrivener, you know? Uh-huh, yeah. And it's like, so you can see, like, all these scenes, and only some of them come out into the actual, mm -hmm. like, manuscript, but you can see, like, all the scenes that never made it, and it is kind of... Like, you read it and just think, oh, my goodness. Like, so, but so, but writing kind of fine by seat of your pants at the beginning when you're going from page one to get to the end of the story, do you think... have it, because you're sort of meeting these characters as you're writing them. Right. Do you think that helps with the editing process after having the hindsight now? Like, okay, I can go back from page one and I can reread this and I can say like, okay, this thing happens later in the novel. Let's change what happens up here. Do you think it helps kind of... I, I feel like if you have this massive outline of a book before you start writing it, it might be right. challenging to then try to go back and edit as well because you have yeah I, I just it's so it's so outside the way that I work that I don't really know how that would be mm -hmm. I I feel like I knew I went into the book knowing certain things which aren't really even the things that I knew that she would be a CEO I knew she would be really really into efficiency I knew she would meet her younger self that was always really important to mm -hmm. me um and I knew that it, a lot of it like I wanted it to start out not in the United States so mm -hmm. that was an important piece for me and kind of that was all I really had. Yeah. Um, and you do notice, I thought my um, I do notice that um, um, over the course of the book that, you know, you start, like I got a dog partway through the writing of the book and like there's suddenly all these more dogs in uh -huh. the book. And like you do, there are things like that which kind of reflect the way like totally the life is going things on. are going. Like you just kept adding yeah. dogs, you know. What kind of dog? This is important. My dog is, um, he was a rescue, but he's a mini labradoodle. <gasps> And he's adorable, and his name is Murray. Murray, I, my, our, my wife and I's best friends have yeah. a little Murray. He oh, is a corgi. They do adopt him. He's a little, oh. he's a little chubby corgi. They're gonna yell at me for calling out their yeah. puppy. They're a little chubby corgi named Murray. Um, yeah. Um, um, but yeah, that's. That's funny. I thought we had the only Murray, but he's really, really cute. And yeah, um, yeah and he's great. And like, yeah. So anyway, that's why there's something. No, that, dogs. that's okay. Um, okay, so. Shelly, as a character, she's almost like an anti-hero, I feel like. Yeah, she's, she's not super likable. But at the end, you end up kind of rooting for her. Like, are these the types of characters you like to read as a reader, like as a person who's finding other books? I I feel like that is hard to answer because I like a lot of different books. I do feel like, there, you know, I heard someone say recently, and I thought it was sort of smart, it was somebody who was talking about 
like likable heroines in fiction. They were like, you know, I just don't like nice people that much. <laughs> and I was like, well, I would never say I don't like nice people, but I do think that there's something really freeing about just kind of there are parts of you, you know, like no one is nice all the time, and there is something nice yeah. about just being like the freedom of letting yourself uh -huh. go down these roads that are kind of a little more extremist and that are things you might not say to people in real life. Yeah. Because, yeah. Oh, I mean, like one of my favorite books of all time is A Confederacy of Dunces. Oh, yeah. And the main character is just a terrible person. Yeah. But at the end of that, you're like, at the end of it, you're like, okay, that's. I think if you're trying to write a book that's funny, and obviously that book is like the yeah. funniest of funny, um, it, it's. It's like you kind of have to sacrifice, like, you have to kind of go mm -hmm. down some roads, you know? Yeah. Um, That's totally fair. Okay, so just because we're at a library conference, okay. so you went to library school. Did you actually get a chance to work? As I worked library? at the University of Maryland Libraries. Um, I worked in the, I was an archivist. Mm -hmm. And I worked in the um, literary archives yeah. um, in the academic library, Hornbake Library. And, um, I, I really liked the archivist, and I thought I would really like being an archivist because it seems like a really great job, uh -huh. and it seems like it's going to be so fun yeah. to like read people's diaries. Um, I didn't love it as much as I expected. Sure. I think in part because it's like the Amtrak buy a car of jobs, <laughs> and I didn't think about this ahead of time, but like I will never ride in the Amtrak quiet car because I find it incredibly stressful. Yeah. You know, like that someone's going to break the quiet and then someone else is going to confront them about breaking uh -huh. the quiet. <laughs> and that almost the anxiety of those interactions makes it impossible for me to concentrate on anything. But I'm so ready and I'm, I'm like sort of identifying who's, who it's going to be and who's going to spring into action to suppress the... Um, These feel uh, very Shelly traits what you're doing well, right now. That's sort of, I mean, I did write that, this book. I, although, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. like little bits of like thinking four steps down the line of like, okay, someone's going to do something wrong. Who is that person going to yeah, be? Yeah, and the just person? worrying about, or just maybe it's being scared of confrontation, which she's not, but maybe I am. Um, but the archives was a little bit like the quiet car in the sense mm -hmm. that people were, um, it was very, very quiet. And mm -hmm. so people like really loved and craved the quiet. And I... I found it a little much, yeah. and I found it, and the desks were sort of salted through the stacks, so you couldn't actually see anyone, but uh -huh. you could kind of hear it if anyone did anything, and so, like, I had a terrible cough, my son was sick, um, and, I, and I would spend all my time, like, suppressing the cough, but then every once in a while I would cough, and the curator would, like, somehow materialize, like, Jeeves, and be like, can I give you a Ricola? And it was always, like, the Ricola of shame, you know, and I was just, like, I just, I felt like there was a lot of stuff like that. So... Um, what, like, what what was your actual like like the day to day job of an archivist? I... Yeah, so I was I was a um, so I like processed collections sure. and and I um, I mean I was like a like a learning how to be an archivist and I um, I did I arranged papers you know like you arrange mm -hmm. things and there's there's a lot of pressure like you got to get this done you know the, the papers of this long dead Maryland poet have to get arranged <laughs> by like next Tuesday yeah you know? for, I mean it's like for some reason yeah like. Um, it's not a job without its stresses. Yeah. It's just, um, and I also worked on a, a digital humanities project, mm -hmm. which was a lot of um, coding things in XML. Was there any, when you were doing the archivist stuff, was there anything that you kind of uncovered that was like, like super interesting or like something you had never expected to see? Um, I mean, there are collections in the library that haven't been processed. Mm -hmm. like, you know, they get the papers and they don't process them right away so you do see stuff that they don't know that they have but yeah. it's never it was not like you know gold bricks it was like yeah 
it's not like a like, like a national treasure situation. Yeah, I mean, or I like guess Indiana Jones. Right. they were filming National Treasure too on oh, seriously? campus when I was there. Yeah, I wanted to be an extra, but somehow it didn't work out. That I don't is... know what Okay, so in your what has to be limited free time. Okay. When you like when you choose to read a book, what like what are some of the books or genres or things that you tend to read? Um, I read pretty widely mm-hmm. and I feel like I also listen to audiobooks a lot mm-hmm. and I also read on my phone um, a lot. So I feel yeah. like I'm kind of a multimodal yeah. reader. Um, I do read a lot of fiction. I tend and right now I'm reading a lot of old fiction yeah. because I think somehow I don't know. There's something odd about having a book coming out, and it's like uh-huh. you just kind of want to read stuff of people who are dead, who you're never going to run into, yeah. you're never, whose Twitter is never going to like show up. And That's um, amazing. So like right now, I'm reading um, a collection of like Edna Ferber short stories, yeah, which is very good and it's uh-huh. funny. I mean, it's super dated, but it's, it's yeah. Very, yeah, I'm liking that. Um, um, I read. I do read. I do like stuff that's funny. I've kind of reached the point in my life where it doesn't have to be great if it's funny. You uh-huh. know, like. I'll, I'll go, yeah. Um, and I read some. I read a fair amount of nonfiction. Yeah, I find myself doing like because I listen to audiobooks. Yeah. Well, yeah, I listen to audiobooks a ton. I read ebooks and then, but I also read physical books. This is yeah. kind of a misconception people at overdrive. They're like, yeah. so you don't have any books, right? I'm like, if yeah. you come to our office, there are just stacks. I'm sure. Um, yeah. But for me, it's like my audiobooks tend to be like YA fantasy. For some reason, yeah. I just love listening to those. The books that I read on. I guess an ebook can be anything, but I feel like all the ones like I almost it's so stupid, but the ones that I almost like want people to see me reading are the ones that I end up reading as a physical book. Yeah, or they're just like oh, that's funny. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what genre if it's like if it's a big deal. Like um, there's a book out right now called Children of Blood and Bone oh, by yeah. Tommy yeah, yeah. yeah. I got to I interviewed her last year, yeah. like, so we, we became buddies, and like I, I got her copy yeah. of the book, and like the day before it came out, I right, like, made right, sure I was in public showing it off. Yeah. I was just such like a gross human. I'm just like, yo, me? Oh, what's that? Yes, it's my book. I feel like oh, I, I just picked up all these. Um, all these galleys and advanced reading copies it's so that I can go show them around. Yeah, it is yeah. the best. It's, it's the absolute. Forever, I've always told people if you've never been to a conference like this, yeah. like the Public Library Association or ALA or BEA, yeah. it's so much. It's You go from like begging to get books yeah. online right. to, to like publicists just throwing them yeah. at you. Oh, yeah. man. Okay, so towards the end of our podcast, we okay. do nine questions. We call them the Nerd Nine. Okay. They're not All rapid right. fire because I get on tangents. Just, like buzz in with like a little. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so the first one, you kind of answer this, but what's the last book you finished reading? Um, I just finished, well, I actually just finished two, and they're different. Can I tell both? Absolutely, yeah. One is Tim Kreider's um, essay collection, mm-hmm. which I think is called, like, I wrote this book because I love you, I think. Fantastic. And he's very funny, and it was very funny, and I and I recommend it. Um, and then I also read another good book, which is, um, I think it's called Hausman Country, and it's by Peter Parker. That sounds really familiar. It's it's big. It's like a book about um, a Shropshire lad, the poems, and about yeah. Hausman's life. And it's it sounds a little dry, but it's actually very lovely and readable. And it reprints all of the Shropshire lads. So if you've read it, you can read it nice. again. And um, and it's very atmospheric about like you know long country walks in England. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was it was really good. Do you have a favorite place to read? Um. In bed mostly mm-hmm. at night, um, and I really do like listening to audiobooks in my car. Yeah, I have so many people tell me they read in bed, and I can't. I, I, I what's your job, right? So you well, to that too, but it's more so that like I feel like I'm falling asleep all the time. Well, there's that because I just love my bed, so I love yeah. my bed so much. But it's the one place where I don't have any competition for other things to do, you know, it's like. Yeah, that's see, I don't have children on your own. I have my two little right. four legged children and right. they just my dogs will just lay they down. Yeah, yeah, they like they kinda of just like they look at me and they give up. They're like, Okay, yeah. he's got one of those big things on his hand, he's not gonna yeah. pay attention to us. Um, do you remember the book that made you fall in love with reading when you were younger? Um 
I did really like reading. Like I always, I don't remember ever not liking reading yeah. as a thing. Um, I, I did. I was talking about books that I read earlier today. Yeah. I was. I have to say, like I, Girl of the Limber Lost was okay. a book that I read when I was in elementary school that made a huge impression on me. Mm-hmm. And it's um, this very intense story of this girl in Illinois or Indiana, I think, who lives on the edge of a swamp and she has to collect these rare moths and sell them to like be able to go to school oh, interesting. it's a very it's very intense and I, I actually got it out of the library this week because I was sort of I wanted to mention it and uh-huh. I wasn't you know how you you just want to like see what it is and if it's what you thought it was oh absolutely um, it's, I'm only probably into it but it's really really good that's um, awesome I always worry about that yeah like, I'm gonna go back and or, or you're gonna find it. out that it's like it's known as like a bad you know yeah, like just something exactly. you, well like I um I always, I'm a huge Muppets fan. Like yeah. I, everything yeah. in my life has revolved around Jim Henson. So in yeah. somewhere there, and so every Christmas we used to watch um, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, which is oh, this okay. obscure. I, yeah, I've heard of this though. I think. And so a few years ago, my oldest sister and I were like, "Man, we should watch that again." Yeah. And we watched. We were like, "Ugh, this is." That's not always. Worth. That's always the worst. Where you go back and yeah. like, it, sometimes you go back and it's fantastic. Like I was listening to music that I listened to like last when I was in college, mm-hmm. and it's like really very good. Well, and I think. I think music also you get the nostalgia thing. Yeah, like you can remember those it's moments emotional. in time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no books. Books are yeah. Movies are really hit or miss. We've been watching um, even like the Back to the Future movies, which I remember is just like they are the best movies ever. But I had my kids watch them. Yeah. Whenever I was watching them as part of this, and um, it's not like the stuff in the car where he's like trying to like make out with his mother and she's saying no. Like mm-hmm. it's not as great. Like it's, it's not great. Yeah. It would, it would, you know, like, yeah, I think yeah. I think maybe movies because they're a visual medium, like they capture a moment more. Right. Like books can be kind of timeless, music can definitely be timeless. But movies really do take. Like even yeah. Groundhog Day again, another movie where I yeah, thought it was going to be really good for everyone. Yeah. And then there's like well, there's weird stuff in that too. Where, oh yeah, we actually yeah. watched that a couple yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, like and, the stuff where he won't let her. I have little boys, and so like he wouldn't let her leave the room. And so like after it, I was like, guys, like this is not you know. Yeah, or like um. This is why these are not rapid fire, by the way, because I just get sidetracked. Yeah, like, uh, trading places in with uh, the Christmas yeah. movie. I haven't seen that in a while. Very racist. Yeah. Like shockingly racist. We're like, whoa, yeah. when did this come out? But, the shocking racism is a problem. I yeah. um, one of the books I loved as a kid was Anti Mame, mm. which I really loved. Like I read that book a hundred times. I thought it was hysterical. I have a copy, and I got it down. And I thought, well, maybe my son, yeah. is thirteen, he has a good sense of humor. Like maybe he would enjoy it. And you flip through, and there's just there's some like awful stuff, yeah. and um, he would not, he would not. I was able to just, I was so different time, different like, yeah. eyes, and I was able to just sort of skate through it without realizing there was anything terribly wrong. But he's like a kid of today, and yeah. he, he would know immediately this is really bad. He's probably a little woke. As yeah, they he's say. a lot. The kids are a lot woker. Yeah. <laughs> what is one place you like to travel that you have not yet been to? Um, I'd like to go to Capri. Oh, nice. It just sounds nice. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? Um, I like Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. I go, we go to my parents and they do all the work. And yeah. It's really nice. All food, don't have to worry about presents and all that good yeah, stuff. Yeah. I think Thanksgiving. Uh, coffee or tea? Coffee. I think I know the answer, but cats or dogs? Uh, dogs, yes. yeah, absolutely. Do you have a favorite food? Um, I mean, I, uh, <laughs> I love marzipan. Ooh, you know, like the yeah. paste. I really do like that. I can eat, like, large quantities of that. Okay. Just... Wow, I've had two, like, spreadable... Someone else earlier this weekend said Nutella. Interesting. 
too yeah. spread, too spreadable favorite foods. I think it's like foods. if you're really getting into what you can just. Yeah, absolutely. This is really good. Yeah. <laughs> I like balsamic vinegar a lot too. Ooh. Oh, I like that too. Okay, and then if you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you go with? Um, I would pick a dead person because you like you seem of like you take advantage of that. Um, maybe like, um, like a. I don't know, like Richard Burton or like David Niven or like some kind of movie star of the past. Yeah. Okay, last question for you. What do you hope readers take away from reading The Glitch? I hope that they, um, I hope that they take away that it's, um, that I hope that they find it funny and it's funny and I think it's somewhat subversively funny and I hope Mm -hmm. that they enjoy the, the kind of subversiveness of it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. The best thing I ever, was when I was like 16 I read this takedown of the frugal gourmet in Harper's mm-hmm. Magazine and that like changed my life actually that was that's a better answer than that, that works it was like to see something that was just like on all the time in my house mm-hmm. just destroyed in a really like ongoing like page after page kind of just yeah. nailing this guy to the wall kind of way I just found it so liberating like mm-hmm. you don't have to take the world at face value you can take it the way you take it like you don't have to accept things the way they're presented to you and I feel like that's kind of my what I find interesting and fun about writing that is wonderful Elizabeth thank you so much for joining us today for having me Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from overdrive.com and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.